Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I um, feel particularly tender this morning. I, 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 uh, I love it when the presence of God is so... I just start leaking right here. Um, and I just, this morning I was leaking. And I, I'm sure some of you uh, experienced that as well. Um, I am so glad that the first job description that we had, and it was just like our father, is that we were gardeners. That's what we were. We were, we were gardeners. And this, this place, his church, is supposed to be a place of gardeners, farmers. We're, we're farmers. We're not, we're not sheriffs. We're, we're farmers. And um, I think that one of the prophetic pictures that I've always enjoyed about where we are, I just was reminded, we've been here going on three years. Uh, in a month uh, and a half or two months we'll be have been here three years and one of the words that the Lord spoke to us when we um, some of our outside board of advisors who didn't know where we were we just knew we were going into a new building they, we, we didn't get into the minutia of the location or anything like that but they all started saying you know we see these fields around you and combines and we see that 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 this that, that God's wanting to do a work so that you become harvesters in his harvest. And then somebody had another word said, well I, I see this this picture of a farm league where you're raising up laborers for the harvest and that this is a place of farm league. And I I, it is so fascinating. I sit down and I have a cup of coffee with some of you that I don't know very well. Uh, and I, I, I sit down and then almost inevitably one of the first things that comes out of your mouth is, well, I feel like God is calling me to do something on his farm. That's not the way you actually say it. You say something to... I feel like maybe I'm called to full-time ministry, but I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't, I'm not sure about seminary. Uh, you know, I don't have any. How did you get to where you are? That's always, it's the lurking question. It's kind of like, yeah, you know. Well, one thing that I'm, I'm um, I, I, I carry this deep in my heart is that, uh, you're not here by accident. You know, you, we kind of reproduce after our own kind. That's one of the principles of the kingdom. And maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Brenda and I are supposed to be doing, reproducing people that do a lot of different things in their life, but ultimately we've been called to make disciples. Whatever form that looks like, that's what every person in this room is called to be. And so... 
Um, that has nothing to do with my sermon this morning, but I just felt the burden of that. I love, Jacob, that song was so, how many want to sing that another time? Wasn't that powerful? The Lord is tending our hearts. He's a good gardener. He's a good farmer. He, he raises good crops. Well, I, uh, I want to start with, uh, we're back in, in, in Samuel, and we're, we're going to kind of end the series, Prepare Ye the Way, and uh, I couldn't help but kind of think a little bit about Tolkien when we were thinking about this. And, you know, of course, the last in the trilogy of movies, as well as the book, was The Return of the King. Let me read you out of 1 Samuel. This is, this is 1 Samuel chapter 8. So we get, a, we get a little depth, and we're going to back up from 1 Samuel chapter 8, but I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to the pain of the Lord. So chapter, chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, And said to him, Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of the, up out of Egypt even to this day. forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen, to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equip and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and from your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. 
but the Lord will not answer you in that day. I, this is kind of uh, almost a crescendo of the book of Samuel. This is, in a lot of respects, the crux of the book of Samuel. And the book of Samuel is basically the unfolding of two kings. Actually, there's more than two kings, but there's mostly just two kings. And what the Lord is really doing here is the first time is he's delineating that reoccurring theme that I kind of introduced last week, but I'm going to go back into, and we're going to actually start back at the beginning of Samuel, and we're just going to work our way through it over the next several weeks. And, And the subject matter is the ways of kings. We're going to be talking about the ways of kings. And there are essentially two ways. And one is the ways of the kings, of the dictators, the despots, and the rulers of this world, the tyrants of this world. And there are the ways of the king of kings. And they're completely different ways. And the initial ground that we need to go back to is the garden. So I'm, I, I was amazed that Jacob came up with that song, brother, you heard the Lord. Because we really do, everything centers around the garden. And a lot of you go, gosh, I know that story so, I mean, why do we always have to go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3? Well, because that's the Genesis uh, that's the beginning. That's our origination. It's really good to go back and see what the original manufacturer's uh, intent was. So let's, uh, let's look at one verse. Uh, and my first point is that God created kings and queens, but their crowns got broken. We have a bunch of fallen kings. And in fact, could you just look to your neighbor and say, you're a fallen king or queen? Just look at them. We're fallen kings and queens. Okay. Let's, let's give you a Bible verse on that. Uh, it's almost difficult to say that. You know why? None of us want to be ruled We don't even like to acknowledge each other's divine imprint. Then God said to them, this is verse 26 of chapter 1, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, That word dominion implies government, doesn't it? It, it literally means uh, the territory of sovereign government. And when you look it up in the dictionary, that's what it means. The territory of sovereign government. And one of the things that 
in this text, and this is a theological concept that people that have thought about this a lot longer than you and me have talked about, is the sovereignty that God deposited into human beings, Adam and Eve specifically. There was a sovereignty, and here's what that sovereignty looked like. Adam, Eve, I've given you the authority to rule over this domain and yourselves. And that sovereignty is expressed by this one critical component. You have been given a choice. You can't have sovereignty if you can't have a choice. It's an impossibility. Sovereigns rule. They make choices. And so what happened when we fell, when we sinned against God, that sovereignty that has been deposited in us turns us all into tyrants. If not actual, well, all you have to do is spend time with mothers and fathers of toddlers to know what I'm talking about. Those precious little tyrants. So there's a difference between dominion and domination. Domination is to control others in an unpleasant way. That's the definition. Domination is to control others in an unpleasant way. Do you notice what the Lord did not say that uh, man, humankind was supposed to have dominion over? Each other. He didn't mention human beings. You and I were not created to be ruled over except by one and only one king. This is why the whole concept of leadership is so mixed in both the church and unmixed in the world. It's totally understanding the tyranny of the fall. But the, the, the world system is trying to moderate the effects of tyranny, but it can't moderate the effects of the fall in the hearts of men. And so what Jesus did is he introduced this radically different concept of what leadership looks like. And for the most part, we've done a terribly bad job of grappling with it because we actually don't understand this 26th verse of the very first chapter of the Bible. And so that's kind of why I'm, you're going, well, what does that have to do with Samuel? Well, what it has to do with is, here's the irony of our fall. It makes us all want to rule, but it also makes us want to be ruled. We immediately lost our sovereign freedom given to the one ultimate sovereign. See, our sovereignty was never unlimited. It was always confined to a sphere. And our sovereignty, and I'm going to bring it down to a real practical, what, what did your mama or your daddy say to you when you were arguing with your brothers and your sisters? Or your brothers and sisters would put their hands on their head. You're not the king of me. 
Or you're not the boss of me. How many of you have seen your little, little ones have those arguments with each other? I am not the boss of, you're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of you. That's what the older ones always say, right? For those of you that don't have kids yet, you'll discover a version of that. It's come so natural. One, we want to be the bosses. And two, we, we actually want to rebel against the bosses. And then ultimately... And this is the more latent, unrealized impulse, is we actually do want to be ruled. And the reason we want to be ruled is originally we were imprinted with the rulership of the most benevolent, good person in the universe, and we wanted and desired his rule, and our separation from him through the fall collapsed our inner ability to yield ourselves to his rulership. And the reason it collapsed is we submitted ourselves to another ruler. And so the God of this world has bonded the eyes of the unbelieving. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the ruler of this world system. I mean, this language is throughout the scripture, and most of you kind of, you say, well, I already understand all this, Steve. Well, what, I'm, what I want to do is I want us to now look at kind of the, the source of this, this, this power where it comes from. So that leads me to the next point, is the eating habits of good kings and bad kings. <laughs> the eating habits of good kings. Well, let's look at Genesis 2. Let's skip over a chapter. And the law, and this is verse 8, and the Lord planted a garden. In Eden. Sounds like a gardener, doesn't it? The song we were singing. In the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that word midst uh, could easily be translated middle, or this, I like the word center. So, so God planted this garden, and then he planted these two trees. And one of them was the tree of life. And by the way, he put no prohibition on that tree whatsoever. And then he planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he put a prohibition on that one, and he said, you, you, you cannot eat it. Let's look at the scripture on that. And the Lord commanded the man, this is, skip down a few verses in verse 16 and 18. The Lord commanded the man saying, you shall er- surely eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So I want you to kind of catch the dialogue here and the the timing of things. God had made the male, Adam. He had yet to make the female, Eve. So he gave this instruction to Adam. And he said, 
there's only he he he'd earlier commanded that they were to have dominion over the earth. And we don't know from Genesis 1 if this is before this fact, this this statement or after this statement. Because Genesis chapter 1 is kind of the big picture, and Genesis chapter 2 is going back and giving, kind of like what I'm doing today. Big picture, let's go into a little more granular view. So we get this little more granular view that God is having a conversation with Adam. He's saying, I am limiting, there is nothing limited to you as far as your consumption, what you can to con, uh, consume and digest, except from that tree, also right near and I, I always imagine right next to the tree of life. Because of this need for our sovereign to be expressed, he had to give us a choice. Without a choice, there is no sovereignty. But he, a lot of us have kind of been taught, and I've been taught this, and I think it's not untrue, but it's really fascinating because the theologians have begin to embrace this as well. And this idea is that it wasn't the disobedience that actually killed Adam and Eve. That's not what the text says anyway. The Lord says, listen carefully. You shall not eat, for in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. It doesn't say in the day you eat it, I'm going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Now, the reason I'm making this distinction, and don't don't misunderstand, the disobedience was bad, but this is what the Lord defined as the killing agent. And the reason you and I need to understand that the fruit from this tree is the killing poison that poisoned Adam and Eve is that we need to understand that throughout all of history, we still only have two trees that we can eat from. And if you don't understand the distinction from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from the tree of life, you will probably find yourself eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking you're eating from the tree of of life, And you will be reaping nothing but death. And let me build my case to you in case you were a a jury, so to speak. First of all, one of the most critical reasons Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and really 4 are in the Scripture and why they are the arguably the most detestable and debated text in all of antiquity is because they so define us in our origin. And uh, they don't define everything about our origin. They just define the essentials that are most important that God thinks in his sovereignty that we need to know. And if we don't pay attention to those things that we need to know, all those other trivialities are just that. They're trivialities. What he wants us to know is the human dilemma we find ourselves in. And the human dilemma that we find ourselves in is that we have this tendency to want to eat from the wrong tree. We prove that almost immediately. 
So evidently, the Lord tells Adam this. He says, don't eat from that tree. In the day you eat it, you're going to die. And then he says something that's remarkable. His very next statement was, it is not, what's the word? It's not what? It's not good that man should be alone. So evidently, who was reserving the right to teach us good and evil? What's the opposite of good, according to God? It's the name of the tree. Hint. I know you guys are smart. You're just tr- this is not a trick question. The opposite of good is what? As far as the Lord's concerned, that's the way he defines the universe. How many of you know we like shades of gray? We, we go, that's good, and that's not so good, and that's, 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 that's real. good, better, best, you know. The, only, the, Lord, only, the Lord goes, eh, I don't need to use superlatives, it's good. You don't need to use best. There's only one. It's good. And then the, and the other is evil. I mean, it says, he tells us in Genesis 1 that he separated the light and the darkness. He separated them. There is this very distinct and clear dichotomy. And you say, Steve, you're really labor, belaboring this point. Well, we are living in a culture, a, a, a bath of cultural compromise that has all kinds of grayscale in the, in the universe. And that all comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. So... Um, I want to read you an example of what is an ex- uh, uh, this is a little bit of this is some scholarship. I'm going to try to eliminate some of their words, make them a little more common. The apostolic fathers did not move on the same high level as the writers in the New Testament. And by the way, the patristic fathers, I love them, those guys got so much right. But even by the second century, they were beginning to drift away from some of the things that they they clearly misunderstood some of the things that Paul was saying and some of the early writers. And this scholar is identifying it. God is to them, and this was the second, third century patristic mothers and fathers, the almighty creator who works in nature and in history. To Gentiles and to the Greek and Roman world, this conception was overwhelming and revolutionary. And it is not surprising that their minds were held captive by it. But then they lost sight of the idea of the fatherhood of God it literally became secondary. 
Even the word agape, when it was used, the word means unconditional love, when it is, u- it is used no longer expresses a personal, but rather a cosmological relationship. Faith in God is especially connected with the thought of His omnipotence instead of His individual personal fathering of you and me. So Christianity, and when I read this, I just, it just went off like an alarm. When Christianity becomes a new law, the teaching of St. Paul is not understood, although the person of the apostle is surrounded by great reverence and affection. The righteousness which is of the law comes back as the goal of man's striving, and it comes It becomes a tendency to distinguish between degrees of good works. Christ becomes the great lawgiver and judge. And I'm going to stop right there. What happened to the early church? Which tree did they start eating from? Nearly all of us get the fundamental understanding that Okay, evil's evil. I don't want to eat from... But notice the description of this tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So most of us go, well, I get the evil part, but where's the good part? Well, I just read you an example of the good part. In fact, Paul even said this. Uh, the, uh, The law is perfect. But it doesn't have within itself, I'm I'm paraphrasing Paul, the power to transform you. The only thing that has the power to transform you, in fact, because of the law, came death. And um, so, what the Lord was wanting to do, he was wanting to slow walk humankind into knowing good and evil. Evidently, being alone is evil. Now, that's not the way the Lord's focused on it, because He always focuses on good and the opposite of good, which is always evil. But He doesn't even like to talk about evil. That's why it's really important for us to not be overly preoccupied with what the devil is doing. Even though some of us, it seems like He's more influential in our life than the Lord. But He's not, trust me. And so the Lord always focuses on the good, but the very opposite of loneliness, I mean, of being together with someone is loneliness. It's an evil. And that's the very first evil, and that's not the subject of this, this sermon, but isn't that interesting? The alienation of us as a human beings and species of people that desire earnestly to collect makes us incredibly reactionary because of our fallen, sovereign self that is now the mad, angry tyrant. And when we get our wills crossed, we do not want to be with you anymore. That's just my angry tyrant. That's the way my angry tyrant manifests itself. So, 
the Lord, and, and I, want to, I really want to, we started out the whole book of Samuel was the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end today's talk with this, this idea that I really want to, uh, I'm going to have to teach about what's not good. But before I teach about what's not good, I want to teach about what is good. The Lord said himself, the scripture cannot be broken. Uh, Jesus said that. I want everybody in this room to repeat after me. The scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. He said that every jot and tittle, the, the earth and the universe will pass away before one jot or one tittle of the law and the prophets will pass away. That's a thoroughly Protestant doctrinal belief. Now, trust me, there, <laughs> there is a constant barrage against the authority of the Scripture. There is a constant, hath God said. That's the King James Version of the devil's first question. He didn't make a statement. He asked a question, which is the way he approaches you most of the time, initially especially. He always approaches us with a question. And when you hear the question, you think it's you t- talking to yourself. But it's often him inciting, inciting a question in your own heart that you need to immediately re- recognize and uh, rebuke. But this, this idea that the Word of God is infallible is and imperfect is is so embedded in the heart and mind of Jesus it's not in question here's here's the problem that we have because we primarily eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil here's what we don't understand the flip side of it and the flip side of this was also said by Jesus and this is found in John chapter 5 and he said he's looking at the Pharisees and he says you search the scriptures this is John 5, 38. Thinking that in them you have eternal life. But they speak of me. Now who is Jesus? He's metaphorically the tree of life. In Jeremiah it says... My people have given up me, the fountain of life, and they've dug cisterns that are broken and they won't hold any water. There's this metaphor throughout the scripture where God is the living water. And in fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, you see that there's these trees trees of life in the kingdom, the final kingdom, and and out of them are come living waters. So this, this metaphor is consistent from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It is, the, it is so consistent. God, the gardener, is going to have us back in the garden. Amen? 
We're all going to go back to the garden. That's his plan. It's always been his plan. But you and I have to understand, even when we read the scripture, are you eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Are you getting life from it? And the reason I'm saying this is we are not called to know the book of the Lord. We are called to know the Lord of the book. When you approach the scripture, do you approach it so you can win an argument? You've already started in the wrong way. If you have a, and look, trust me, I'm an expert at this. I have a, I have a degree, uh, an advanced degree uh, from the school of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of being argumentative. I am trying to fail those classes as well as I succeeded at them years ago. Because the wisdom from above is first gentle. In fact, next week I'm going to talk about the word of the king. And uh, so keep this in mind. What I want us to do is I want us to realize that every day we can wake up and, and when you approach the Scripture, and I, 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 this is just something we emphasize here daily, uh, you, you need to feed off of the Word of God. See, this is what John got. John got that it wasn't the, the written letter of the Word, but it was the living Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is a person. And this person was revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And every day when we open up these texts and these Scriptures, the prayer on our heart needs to be, Lord, reveal yourself in your word. And when, when you find yourself and you say, you know, I just find the scriptures really dry and boring. I got to tell you, I, I, I would, I, for years, I gave all kinds of word uh, wisdom from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then one day the Lord began to speak, speak to me. He says, did it ever occur to you that that's my Holy Spirit suppressing their desire to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because they're going to the Bible trying to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's only going to kill them. They're only getting performance Christianity. They're only getting you know, legalism. They're, only, they're not getting any kind of sense of my grace or my goodness or who I am. All they're getting is the alt-tos and the shouldas and the couldas and the... And, and you know, these warnings are really important But these warnings are from a loving Father who knows how to warn us in a way that gives us life, not death. And so much of our religion has turned us into legalists who love the law because it's true, it's good, but even the good law causes death. Are you you getting this? I mean, this isn't a discussion primarily about grace, but that's why there is a tree that Jesus Christ died on. And what was that tree? That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think that's symbolic of the tree he died on. He had to, he had to fulfill 
all the requirements that that tree of both, he was perfectly good and he died and he was counted among the transgressors. In other words, he was also made sin or evil. Let's end on that thought. The cross of Jesus, that, that beautiful cross, was when he took the wood of the tree of the knowledge of evil and destroyed it through the power of his cross. Let's all stand up. You know, if you do not know Jesus and you say, well, that wasn't a very evangelistic sermon. Yeah, it is. It's really evangelistic. If you're, if you're eating from the wrong tree, you're going to die. You're, you're already dead and you're going to die eternally. But Jesus came to kill the death of that tree. The tree of the cross, which by the way, it was dead wood that he died on. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is just, it's just death. And he died on that cross to break its, the power of that tree in your life and my life. And the first thing he says is just come to me and I'll give you life. And you go, well, I don't understand everything. Do you understand coming to somebody that has something you don't have? That's it. So if that would be you, I want to invite you this morning. And, and let's say you're a believer that kind of started eating more from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil than from the tree of life. I want to invite you. I want you to <laughs> go, go, Lord, I want you to teach me what's good and what's evil. I want you to be the one that trains me in life and not death. All right. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, we just... Submit ourselves to the authority of your word and the authority of your life-giving spirit that wrote that word. Lord, you are the living word of God. You became flesh. You dwelt among us. And Lord, now take that word and make us kings that are representatives of your living word. And that out of us becomes kings and queens that are incredibly humble and yet rule in your benevolence and your kindness and your goodness. Lord, for any person here that doesn't know you, I just pray that you would just compel them in the, by the power of the Holy Spirit to know they have a choice too. Convict them of that choice and let them know that they can make it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for the rest of you, there's some of you that want to do business with God. I'll, one of the reasons we do this here is it, it's always elders, and, and I, I always say this, I, I don't uh, I say this in my mind. If I need to get prayer, I'm going to come forward. Sometimes I do. Uh, there's a humility about receiving from one another. Those fallen kings don't want to do that. But 
Maybe you need some prayer this morning. Maybe you've got a physical need. Maybe there's there's a struggle. Maybe the Word of God has become too much death and not enough life. Maybe there's a family member. There's maybe a need in your life right now that you just need of prayer so life group leaders and elders please come forward and if you would please feel free to come up and get prayer today